0: Top Turtle MMA podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the world's thinnest, most lightweight, durable mouthguard ever invented. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. If you do a high-impact sporter activity, you are doing yourself a disservice. If you don't head on over to SISUguard.com right now, that's SISUguard.com. Find the right mouthguard for your sport or activity. It's a game changer in the mouthguard world. We are also brought to you by Banned Coffee. Banned Coffee makes the world's strongest coffee. If you're one of those human beings that, you know, does stuff during your day, you probably need a pick-me-up. Get yourself some Banned Coffee at BandCoffee.com. Enter in promo code TopTurtleMMA, all one word, not case sensitive, and get yourself 20% off for the world's strongest coffee. So good, it should be Banned. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland, Top Turtle MMA podcast on FlowCombat.com. That's the mothership. We, of course, are available there. Also, tune in Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Really, wherever you can stream a podcast, we're there. Thank you so much for listening. Gumby, one of the things we pride ourselves on here is getting right into it. We're not going to waste the listeners' time. We are two fight fans who love talking fights, so let's do that. Last night, Nassau Coliseum in front of his hometown crowd, Chris Weidman avoided going 0-4. First win in uh, three years, I believe, uh, or two years. He beat Vitor in May of 2015, but he gets back on the winning track. Head and arm choke on Kelvin Gastelum in the third round of the fight. You were there live with a press pass from FlowCombat.com. What did you make of the performance?
1: Oh god, it was freaking electric. And and I gotta say, maybe the most impressive part about Chris Weidman's performance to me. Wasn't necessarily the grappling because we've known he's had that grappling all along. And don't get me wrong. It was super dominant. But if you watched in the first and the second round, one of the most impressive things he did to Calvin Gastelum was keep the much shorter, much less rangy fighter at bay. He kept him away with front kicks to the chest. Mm. He was throwing those little teep kind of deals. And at the same time, too, he was working in a lot of leg kicks, too, which kept Gastelum Far enough away where his short arms couldn't punch Weidman. Then when he got super overzealous and knew he had to charge, the takedown was right there for Weidman. And Weidman absolutely manhandled them on the ground
0: as a Weidman fan as a Strong Island fan as a Henzo Gracie fan as a John Danaher fan as a Matt Sarah fan as a Ray Longo fan I am a big Chris Weidman mark as we say in the pro wrestling world I was very scared when Gastelum rocked him at the end of the first round
1: oh I for, when I so I was there like two rows away from the cage and I couldn't hear the end of the round bell. I thought when uh, Big John stepped in, I thought he was calling it and I was so upset. And then they like walked back to their corners. And I was like, oh, it's just the round.
0: <laughs> so one thing I take away from this and I want to get to Gastelum's end of this in, in, in a minute. But with Weidman, he does not have a ton of power. Right, you know, like when he caught Anderson Silva on the back foot as Silva was retreating and kind of clowning around.
1: Yeah, it's a lucky catch almost. Like you don't want to call it a lucky catch, but I mean, like if Anderson's not clowning, he doesn't hit
0: Anderson like that. And then, I mean, we can have the intern, i.e., me, pull up his uh, his uh, record here in a second. But has he caught anyone else? Uh, Mark Munoz, I believe. Uh, I want to say he caught Mark Munoz with an elbow.
1: Um, with Munoz coming in, he threw an elbow and it stunned him. And then he like finished him really brutally. Well, am I, am I wrong about that? (sighs) Like, I'm pretty sure he's got a pretty nasty finish of Mark Munoz. So Mark Mark, Mark Munoz was legit at the time. He was like a top tenner for a while.
0: Yeah, he had elbow and punches yep. KO over yep, Mark Munoz, which was back-to-back to Anderson Silva, but then, you know, uh, it was the Darce choke over Tom Lawler, we all remember, standing guillotine on Jesse Bongfeld to make his UFC debut, and then he did have a TKO over decrepit, non-TRT Vitor Belfort after mounting him, but I guess my point being is, one thing that Weidman does to me lack is that kind of knockout power. I mean, I would yeah, he be... Yeah, throw big bombs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a, a stand-up war, him versus Bobby Knox, I'm obviously going to go with Robert Whitaker, yeah. Bobby Knox.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm not necessarily certain that I would ever believe that Weidman could get Whitaker down. you know, like, I, mm. I think Whitaker's defense, as far as takedowns, is a bad matchup for Chris Weidman.
0: I don't know that I necessarily... I, I agree with you. Bobby Knox has some good takedown defense, but I think Weidman could get him down. I don't even want to get into a breakdown of him versus um, yeah. Whittaker he- right now. matchup. But, but my point being is that, you know, to me, Weidman is always going to have to be grapple first. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. And I think that that's what made this fight his, though, is that he really focused on what can I do in the stand-up that sets up my grappling because before yeah he knew he had to be a grapple first guy he knows that he knows that in his head that that's what he is but never before has his game plan been so well tied to what do i have to do on the feet to get it on the ground as it was in this fight
0: well, this is what I wanted to come back to on Kelvin Gastelum. I see why he is so upset having to be at middleweight. He said he didn't want to be at middleweight. He wanted to cut back to 170. The UFC was like, we're not letting you cut back to 170 anymore. He is going to be at the mercy of everyone else's reach in that division. He'll have the, sh- him and Johnny Hendricks will have the shortest reach at middleweight. And, you know, you saw with Weidman, first off, Gastelum is not easy to take down by any stretch of the imagination, but Weidman being a bigger fighter, you know, it, I get where Gastelum's coming from. He wants to be a bigger person at a lower weight class, and now I, I, I fully get it when it comes to him. Yeah, I
1: get it too. And, and, you know, it was kind of crazy to think about because you don't think Chris Weidman super long and rangy, but it was crazy how hard it was for Kelvin Gastelum to get inside. It was just insane.
0: Yeah, Well, that, yeah, the the reach differential was just too great. Yeah. And I think Gastelum would would have that problem with a lot of... I mean, him versus Luke Rockhold, he's going to have that even worse. Oh, yeah, I
1: mean, that's 20 times worse.
0: So, you know, it's, it's just interesting where we go from here. You brought up something off-air, and I'd like to talk about it. What do we make of Weidman's career, given the past four fights, since that Vitor Belfort win? I mean...
1: God, man. I, it, it, and even if you go before the Vitor Belfort win, I mean, when you think about... His signature wins, like before you were talking about him beating Anderson Silva, what, what are those other wins on his record there? I mean, he's got a win over... Leoto. Leoto, mm-hmm. which is probably without the Gastelum win that we just watched.
0: His most impressive performance,
1: because I would say last night was the best performance of Chris Weidman's career.
0: I think he broke his hand in that fight too, yep. w- against Lyoto. Yep. But uh, yeah, I know but what you're like, saying. Other than that, he's so... got a
1: Munoz win and two fluke wins over. Well,
0: over... I'll, I'll tell. You, in retrospect, and I know it was a different Damien Maya, but the Damien Maya win looks pretty fucking incredible yeah, right that, about now. That's true too. Yeah. But you know, different weight class for Maya at the time. But no, I, I know what you're saying. The Silva stuff now, in retrospect, seems a little fluky. Right. But then again, so is the loss to
1: Joel Romero, right? Like, this is a guy whose career, whether you want to paint it as an up or you want to paint it as a down, is a fluke, right? Like, even the gegard Musasi thing is like borderline fluke. Like, if you told him it was a legal knee and you didn't stop the fight, he
0: probably would have just continued. I have a little problem, and I'm a huge Weidman fan. They make it about the spin kick against Luke Rockhold, and I just don't think you can really break down high-level sports to that. Mm -hmm. Was the spin kick stupid? Yes. Was it a razor-close fight where I think Weidman had clearly won the first and Rockhold had won the second, and up to about three minutes on the third, it could have gone either way? Weidman tries the stupid spin kick— Rockhold ends up taking his back and mounting him and almost finishing the fight and basically finishing the fight. It could have been finished right there in the end of the third round. Okay, it was a dumb move, but at the same time, he still got mounted. He still got the shit beaten out of yeah, his face. And, and, to me, it's a Rockhold win. That's not a fluke, and I know you didn't just say that. I just I thought of it, so I wanted to bring yeah, it no, up. Yeah, no, and
1: you're, you're right, too, because I, I think that that was indicative of a different problem, You know, like obviously the the spinning kick opened up the ability to see that problem. But the problem was, is that Rockhold was, could manhandle him and had better cardio. Right.
0: So, all right, let's do this because I had a fun game I thought we could play. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask you this question and, and you just give me your, your honest reaction here. Don't lie. No
1: prep here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No (laughs) prep. And don't lie to our adoring public is Chris Weidman a future champion again at middleweight?
1: I'm going to say yes. What? I, really? And I can't believe I'm saying this, but hear me out on this one. I tried to think of it. Uh, so I had a long ride home from Long Island last night. It was three and a half hour drive home from Long Island. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about Chris Weidman as uh, as weird as that sounds. But you think about matching the middleweight division right now. So Bobby Knox is going to fight Bisping. we think. Well, I
0: think Bobby Knox actually just came out that he's injured. Okay, So if anything, I think we're going to get Bisping, GSP in the fall, but keep going. Okay, but
1: anyway, GSP, Bisping, Whitaker, something's happening there, right? Luke Rockhold just got booked in a fight that very much does not lead to a new title shot for mm-hmm. him. He is headlining against David Branch in, on a fight night in Pittsburgh on the night of Canelo uh, Triple G. So, like, no eyes watching him against a guy who, who doesn't have a big name behind him. Not going to lead to a title shot. Who does that leave Chris Weidman to fight in the middleweight division? And the only name I could come up with, who, and I'm not sure about the health level again, so I'm going to have to go back and check my sources Mm -hmm. on this one. But the only person who's a step up, the only person who's a step up other than Gaslam is Jacare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If he were to get matched up with Jacare, say in December or January, and he beat Jacare as convincingly as he beat. Now, he wouldn't beat him in the same way. But if he beat him as convincingly as he just beat Gastelum, He's back. he on. jumps Rockhold. Right, right. He jumps right. Rockhold in his win over David Branch that we can assume is going to happen. Sure. So, I, in you know, say Bobby Knox is hurt, he, he beats Bisping, in my opinion.
0: Okay. All right. Hey, you know what? You just, you're just you right, actually. You just brought me back to your side. So, I want to do this. I think it'll be a fun game. Let's go down the weight classes, and we'll do this quickly. But let's talk about former champions. Who has the best chance of becoming a champion again? Mm. So we'll start with heavyweight. Here are your two options. Oh god! You won't. Well, <laughs> actually, no good options. Actually, there. you have you have four potential options. There oh. are there are four former champions who are still somewhat active. Is JDS a future champion? Uh, at, can he reclaim the belt at heavyweight? Uh,
1: I'm going to say no.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, Fabrizio Verdoom. No. Really? I'm going to say no.
1: Yeah. I don't I don't think he can beat Stipe. And if Stipe gets beat by Kane, I don't think he beats Kano yet.
0: Okay. Well, is Kane. Can Kane become champion? I again? think yes. Yes. I, I think agree Kane's with
1: that. maybe the best heavyweight in the world if he can stay healthy.
0: And here's the other one Brock Lesnar. <laughs>
1: uh, no, but you also forgot. Orlovsky.
0: Uh, yeah, we're not even going to go there. Orlovsky's <laughs> <right>. a no. <laughs> at light heavyweight, I think we can rule out Leoto and, and Mauricio Shogun, who own Rashad Evans, because they're all fighting at middleweight yeah. now. Is John Jones a future yeah. champion? Yeah, yeah he's yeah.
1: champion this weekend. <laughs> okay. There we'll, you go. And we'll get to that later in the
0: show. So you think Weidman, do you think Rockhold could be champion again? Yeah, I yeah, do. Me too. Yeah, I think
1: Rockhold could take it off of Wideman again.
0: Right. So I think Wa- Weidman and Rockhold at middleweight are very much in the mix to regain a uh, yep. middleweight title. Welterweight, can Robbie Lawler regain a championship?
1: I think he can. I don't think he will. Why do you say that? Uh, I mean, I just think the, the path to the title right now, he he, he takes a lot of fucking damage. Mm. And when it comes down to it, I think that's going to be his demise. And we're going to wind up in this weird cycle where he, he wins two and loses at one but is super exciting and, and just either never gets that title shot or is like taking too much damage on the way. GSP. Oh god, fuck! I hate that question. Uh, I'm gonna say fucking yes, because wow. uh, I, I, I think if you match him up with
0: Woodley or Maya, he beats both of them. All right, um, going to lightweight, oh, you god, really only hundreds. have. Oh no, no, no! no. You've you've actually a couple of options. Could Anthony Pettis reclaim a title?
1: No, I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm it. gonna say no. I think the too book much, is out on how to beat Abby. him exactly.
0: Yeah. Rafael Dos Anjos. Fights at uh, one seventy now. Seventy
1: now. I don't think he'll win the. 70 say no, time.
0: it's a safe bet to say no. Yeah. Eddie Alvarez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Could yeah, he maybe could. not against I, Connor.
1: I, I think him versus Tony could do it.
0: Um. Oh, meaning that if if, if, if Tony, Tony got and yeah. it got the title shot, you could
1: see Eddie. He yeah, he could be. I, I'm pumped to see him fight Gaethje though.
0: Uh, could Jose Aldo reclaim the featherweight yeah, title? Absolutely. Yep. You think so? Yeah. Would you pick him in a rematch over Max Holloway? I wouldn't, but if Max Holloway lost to Frankie
1: Edgar by getting grapple fucked, I would pick Jose Aldo over Frankie Edgar again in the second.
0: Well said. Uh, bantamweight, could Hennan Barrell reclaim his title?
1: No. I agree. Not the same fighter anymore. TJ Dillashaw. Yes, but I don't think he will.
0: I, I agree with you on that. Uh, Dominic Cruz. Yes.
1: Yeah, I yeah. agree. Emphatically, yes.
0: And at flyweight, could... Oh, wait. No one else has ever been flyweight <laughs> champion. Uh, let's go over to the women's side. Could Misha Tate's retired? Could Holly Holm uh, beat Amanda Nunes or reclaim her title against someone else? I, I don't else? think
1: so. I just I, I think the book's out on her and her tentativeness and what it takes to beat her.
0: And we'll assume that Rousey and Misha Tate are retired. Yep. Uh, at Women's Strawweight, could Carla Esparza make no. a comeback? No. I, I think
1: she's good, but I just think the level of striking has been elevated so high in that division right now that she would have to do massive work in order to get there.
0: And million-dollar question, Gubby, can Jermaine Durandamy reclaim her title?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Would Jermaine Durandamy ever fight... Uh, somebody who we would qualify for a title? No, yes, so no, absolutely not.
0: Could Ken Shamrock win his super fight? <laughs> all right, I'm done. All right, so let's transition now. We had a chance to catch up with Jason the Kid Knight, a fighter we are both very excited about. Four wins in the past year, up and coming featherweight. And this interview is brought to you by Band Coffee. Band Coffee makes the world's strongest coffee. Head on over to BandCoffee.com. Enter in promo code Top Turtle MMA, all one word, not case sensitive. Get yourself twenty percent off your first order. Band Coffee brings you our interview with Jason Knight. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte
1: with Top Turtle MMA on flowcombat.com And we have the pleasure of talking to Jason, the kid knight who fights Ricardo Lamas this weekend at UFC 214. Uh, Jason, uh, let's have a start with a question about, uh, your teammate. So yesterday, your teammate Chase Sherman, uh, got his second win in the UFC. He's now on a two fight win streak. What'd you think of his performance and, uh, how he, how we uh, finished the job in there?
2: man i think he did great uh you know i would love to see him get the finish but yeah, a win's a win you know and he, he did a great job he looked impressive out there he didn't take too much damage and you know it looked like he fought a very very smart fight and you know i'm super proud of him and glad to you know see that he finally got him a little win streak started you know
1: yeah, and I particularly thought that his head movement was really impressive. You know, for a, you know, a guy who weighs 240 pounds, he was moving really well. It seems to be something that, uh, you know, Alan Belcher trained fighters seem to be doing really well, and, and he's building a hell of a team down there, both of you two now in the UFC. What does Alan do that makes his transition from a fighter to a coach going so well? Why is it, is it so well when so many different fighters fail at that?
2: Uh, man, I, I can't give all the credit to Allen Duff, you know, he's a, he's a great coach, but man, we've got, we've got a squad of coaches down here, uh, we've got, you know, we got Mike Sanford, uh, a guy named Brandon Davis, he's a striking coach with, uh, he'll, he's a up and coming fighter, he's gonna be fighting on the contender series, uh, the, the first of August, so it's two nights after our fight, he'll be fighting on the contender series, and, you know, he's a badass striking coach. Uh, we've got a guy named Tyler Hill that's a badass striking coach. James Sharps, a uh, awesome, you know, he's an awesome coach all around. But, uh, man, we, we've got way more than just Alan Belcher. Um, but Alan, man, he's, you know, he, he's got the experience. He's got, you know, the, the skills. And he's trained with some of the best people in the world. And he comes back and he brings that to us you know, and helps us out and makes sure that, you know, we're learning new stuff all the time, even if we're not able to travel outside of, you know, our little comfort zone, he's able to bring stuff back from wherever he goes and, you know, help us learn it.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty crazy when you think about it, because when you think of the bigger fight camps, you know, you think of you know, Southern California, Kings MMA, or Florida with ATT, and, you know, uh, back in the day, Enzo Gracie Academy, New York City, but you guys are becoming somewhat of like a southern powerhouse.
2: Yeah, man, uh, Mississippi's not really all that known for fighters, but that's only because Mississippi hasn't ever really got the chance to get out there and shine. Uh, I was the the first Mississippi native ever to make it to the USC. Chase Sherman was the second to ever make it to the USC. As of right now, we're the only two, you know, that were born and raised in Mississippi that's ever made it to the USC. Well, you know, if Brandon Davis goes out here and does good on this contender series, he gets his contract, he'll be the third. Well, you know, we just haven't had our chance to shine and, You know, me and Chase are are finally starting to put Mississippi on the map a little bit. But, you know, we have so many up-and-coming guys that are just right there knocking on the door. There's a few more wins, uh, you know, that got to get a win streak going. You know, we got got a guy named Tyler Hill that I'm telling you, it's just a matter of time. Uh, Just a few more fights. Uh, A guy named Jason Seppler, he's, I believe, a 35er. And, man, he's just a few more fights away. You know, we've got we've got several other guys that are up and comers that just have to build that win streak. And you uh, know that we got a guy named Brock Weaver, he just saw last night and I believe that Brock is probably one or two fights away. But uh man it's just it's just a, a great thing to see that Mississippi's finally getting the recognition and I believe that, you know, give us a couple years and, you know, we'll be just as well known as all these other big gyms and you know, it'll, it'll go from everybody wanting to go to Jackson Wink or everybody wanting to go to American Top Team to, man, i got to get my ass over there and train at Allen Dutcher MMA Club. You know? and <laughs> well, I, I, believe, I believe that, you know, we'll, the more that we keep on getting out here and signing, the more that we'll keep bringing killers down.
0: Absolutely. Very exciting to think about the prospects. And, you know, you, you certainly uh, are leading the charge here. I mean, you have had uh four wins in the past year i believe uh going back to july of last year three of those have come with performance bonuses attached to them what what's that been like getting the performance bonuses i mean that's you know circa fifty thousand dollars extra per bonus has that kind of taken off a financial pressure on you getting that extra money from the bonuses this past year
2: oh yeah man it's awesome uh I owe ten thousand dollars in my house to be paid off, and I just turned twenty five years old. You know, a little over a week ago. So, you know, as a twenty five year old kid, you know, I'm still just a kid. You know, I haven't, I haven't, you know, turned into a, a full grown ass man. You know, but uh, at twenty five years old, most most kids my age are still at their mom's house. You know, uh, like you look around my town. And I'm telling you, half the kids around where I where I come from, they're either at their mom's house or they're working at the shipyard or building houses and busting their ass to barely keep their head above water. And, you know, I've almost, you know, got my house paid off. It'll be paid off after this fight, win, lose, or draw. I'll pay my house off. I've got, you know, I, I've never had a four-wheeler in my life until now. I've got three or I got four four-wheelers. Uh, two Razor 800s, you know, I've got four vehicles right now, you know, the stuff that I've never been able to accomplish until now. And man, it's, it's awesome just to see that all my hard work is finally, finally paying off. It took me 10 years to get to where I'm at, but I'm finally where I want to be. And, you know, steadily trying to climb a little higher.
0: that's awesome to hear. Congratulations on that. I mean, that's absolutely great. And like you said, you're, you're only 25 years of age. Uh, you know, you just cracked the top 15. Not a lot of fans know you. I think hardcore fans have caught on. I think they know you're an up and comer to watch, but maybe tell people a little bit about, you know, who Jason, Jason Knight is. Where would we find Jason Knight on a Saturday night when you're not training or or getting ready for a fight? What do you, what do you do in your spare time?
2: Uh, man, I. Here lately, you know, since I, I've got all these ATVs and UTVs and stuff, uh, on Saturday night you're you're gonna most likely catch me out there mud riding, drinking some beer, and having <laughs> some fun, you know. And if not, you know, if I'm not doing that, then I'll, I'll probably go out to the casino or go out, you know, to, to a nightclub with my my fiance or whatever, you know, go out and have a little bit of fun. Just try to find any little thing I can do to have fun. But uh, you know, I, I get I have uh, three kids. I get my, I have my little boy all the time, hmm. and uh, if I, I get my my little girls every other weekend. If I've got them, the you know, if anything, I might be out mud riding, but there's no clubbing or nothing like that. Whenever they're around, it's hard to get a babysitter for three kids. You can get a babysitter for one, but <laughs> three kids—that's pretty damn hard. But yeah, man, it's uh, if I'm not out, you know, playing, having a little bit of fun, and I'm being a family man, taking care of my family.
0: Absolutely, and hey, any babysitters listening in the Mississippi area, you heard it. She, uh, Jason Knight needs a needs a babysitter. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you've had four wins in the past year. Is that a pace you plan to keep up? I mean, even fighting four times in the past year—that's crazy. You know, is that do you like fighting that often? Are you kind of like a cowboy Cerrone in that way, or would the plan be to try to scale that down to two or three per year going forward? Now that you're in the top fifteen.
2: Uh, no, nah, man, I if I've got the belt around my waist, I still want to fight as much as possible. You know, I want to, if, if I could, I would fight every other week. You know, it's just, it's not about the money or the fame or, you know, getting the belt or being in the top five. You know, of course, all of that's great and I want all of that. But for me, it's about the fun. And there's nothing like that big adrenaline rush on your way to the cage and the feeling of getting your hand raised, you know, just, not even getting your right, just the feeling of going out there and being able to compete and, you know, showcase what I've been working my ass off for, you know, I, I love it. You know, there, there's no, no greater feeling in the world, you know, besides, you know, the birth of my kids, I've never had more fun and never enjoyed something more than when I'm inside of that cage.
0: Absolutely. And... All right, so Ches Skelly was a big win. Now you're facing Lamas this weekend. Huge name in that featherweight division. I mean, he's ranked number three. Obviously, you do not want to look past him, and I'm not expecting that you look past him. But if you were to win, is there someone else on your mind? Is there a call-out you might think of uh, after you beat Lamas? Where where do you see your next career step going?
2: Uh, I think you know the only logical option would be Cub Swanson. Uh, you know, I, I've thought long and hard about it. You know, Jose Aldo, he's probably not going to fight again for a while. Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway, they're about to fight, and that's something, you know, Frankie deserves. He, he, it's his time to fight for that belt. You know, I, of course, he's lost title, so our title challenges a few times, but, uh, you know, I think that me and Cub, after this one, I, I call out Cub Swanson, me and him fight. I think that should put us on, on a poster, you know, put us on like a main event of a fight night. If I That's if I get through Ricardo Lamas now. Put me and Club Swanson on a fight night poster and let us be the main event. I mean, the winner out of us gets the winner out of Frankie and Max. The loser out of us gets the loser out of Frankie and Max. And I think that right there, you know, if they, they go ahead and sell that shit right after my fight, then I think it's going to make some money.
0: Hell yeah. I mean, listen, Jason, you you have had an incredible year the past year. Even off a loss, I want to see you versus Cub Swanson. It's an awesome matchup. You fight this weekend, Ricardo Lamas, obviously a big fight in your career. We wish you the best of luck in that fight at UFC 214, and we can't thank you enough for the time here today.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, If you're listening out there, go follow me on Twitter. It's at JacksonTheKid23. Go follow me on Instagram. It's at JacksonTheKid. Go to my Facebook fan page, Jason the Kid Knight. Hit the like button. Hit the share button. Help me get some followers. Uh, I know that you know I'm still a little new to the UFC, but you know I, I'm making my mark. So help me get my name out there.
1: And, and we'll make sure that we get all of those pages out on our Twitter page too, so all of our followers can make sure that you can find Jason the Kid Knight on all of his social
0: media there.
2: Yes, yeah, sir. Thank you all so much for having me today.
0: There you have it, Gumby Jason, the Kid Knight. God, he has
1: definitely become uh, one of my all-time favorite interviews. He's just... You get the sense that he's like that everyman that you like want to root for, and... It, we
0: said it in the interview. The kid's only freaking 25 years old. He reminds me of the Stone Cold Steve Austin of the featherweight division. Um, <laughs> all right. So UFC 214 is this weekend. And let's face it. This is International Fight Week. This is the best card. This is the best card of the this year. Is the best card of the year. It'll By a mile. Pop the biggest buy rate of the year, which isn't hard to do. But that being said, so excited. John Jones, as of taping this right now, has six days <laughs> not to mess up <laughs> in his personal life and make sure this fight happens. That promo scares the shit out of me. Every time they play it, I'm like...
1: Oh no what is he going to do now So
0: I actually <laughs> got to say something if you saw the Cormier versus Jones interview last night which I'll assume you didn't They, because, did, they didn't yeah they didn't it play the stadium, it in the yeah, arena yeah. But I actually thought, while well, everyone's like, oh, Jones is so dark, he didn't really want to be there, he had like a bad attitude, he was very few words, it wasn't that like, you know how him and Cormier, it's usually kind of like a jokey, almost like locker room trash talk. Yeah. This like, was like you can tell they kind of don't like each other, but they're like not vicious. Well, this was like Jones, I mean, it, it felt like you were talking to like a depressed person or something. A lot of people took it like, oh man, he means business. I was kind of like, huh. I almost feel like, are we back to John isn't feeling himself again? Like, I don't know. Just let's earmark that for if Cormier wins this weekend. Okay. But, that being said, you have Daniel Cormier, the champion, quote-unquote, uh, because Jones lost his title because he hit a pregnant woman in a car uh, by running a red light, and you have John Jones, the challenger. Jones has fought one time in the past two and a half years since beating Daniel Cormier. Jones came back last April for an odd performance against Ovin St. Preux. He got the win, but he was a little trigger-shy on, on pulling the, you know, I guess really engaging in a striking battle with OSP. He said he wanted to be careful, and it was a short-notice fight, so we'll give jones the benefit of the doubt cormier on the other hand the champion uh you know he has beaten actually somewhat of a who's who of what the light heavyweight division had to offer while jones with, was out with
1: he, the exception of john Deere. of
0: course yeah. uh, but he beat anthony rumble johnson and he beat alexander gustafson uh and then of course he beat anderson silva in a weird fight at ufc 200 uh and now he has his chance to right the wrong on the john jones loss the only loss of his career who you got here
1: I'm going with Jones. I just think he's a better fighter. Cormier relies so heavily on that wrestling base and being able to bully somebody. And I just don't think you can bully John Jones. I think he's too rangy. And even when you get inside with him, he's stronger than than Daniel Cormier. Whether anybody wants to admit it or not, he's a much stronger person. Than he Daniel
0: out-wrestled Cormier. him in their first and, match. And he did out up against him. the
1: cage. Yeah, and,
0: and and to me,
1: that's the only path to victory for Daniel Cormier is to take John Jones down. He's not going to outstrike him. He's not going to knock him out. He's not going to submit him. John Jones
0: could do all those things. He could outpoint him, he could knock him out, or he could sub him. I have to bring up, you know, I think we've seen a lot of flaws in Cormier's striking recently, too. Even Anderson Silva in that brutal fight last year, mm-hmm. when Anderson Silva got a chance to open up in the last, like, 30 seconds he of the third him. round, he tagged him. Yep. You go back to the Gustafsson fight, Gustafsson nailed him with that knee. I was shocked and, that he and, was able to go on. Gus has a lot of the same, like, ranginess As
1: Jones does. There's a lot of similarities in Jones and Gustafson striking because of the range factor.
0: Now, I don't want to talk about Anthony Rumble Johnson's last fight with Cormier, the one that Rumble uh, retired on. But the first one they had right after Jones got in trouble, that May of 2015 fight, um, you know, uh, Rumble tagged him, obviously, obviously. in the first round. So I give... Cormier credit for staying with it and not getting all the way knocked out, but I do feel like we're due. I think, you know, the check is coming due on Cormier getting tagged and getting knocked out. Could Jones be the one to do it? I don't know. It would, it would be a burst. It definitely wouldn't just be one shot. That all being said, Cormier, the champion, a plus 235 dog, Jones, the challenger, a minus 255 favorite. All right. I am so excited about this welterweight title (laughs) fight. You have. (laughs) Uh, Tyron Woodley, someone everyone thought would be a one-and-done champion. He's defended twice. Well, I guess you can't call the first one, one a defense. He's defend, defended one and a half times. Uh draw against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and then a win over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Very boring fight this past March. Uh, and then, of course, he beat Robbie Lawler for his belt. He is on a five-fight win streak. Also has wins over Kelvin Gastelum and Dung Young Kim. Damian Maya, however, is on a seven-fight win streak. He's coming off a split-decision win over Jorge Masvidal. Beat Carlos Condit before that. Beat Matt Brown before that. Wins over Gunnar Nelson, Neil Magny, Ryan Laflair. Who you got
1: here, Gumby? I, I'm going with Demian Maia. Uh, and I know that that's, he's probably a dog in this fight only because, you know, the only path to victory here for Maia, too, is is a takedown, right? Like, he's not going to outstrike and no. Tyrone Woodley. But I, I just can't think I, – I don't see Tyrone Woodley putting him away. And I just can't see Tyrone Woodley going five rounds with Demian Maya. Like at some point in time, Tyrone Woodley is going to wind up down sometime in five rounds. If he can't put him away, he's not going to win a five-round decision against Demian Maya because in those late rounds, he's going to get more and more and more tired. He's got a lot of muscle mass. And when Demian Maya is on top of you, it doesn't take long. I mean, we saw it with Carlos Condit. Not that Carlos Condit's like a BJJ master, but... He was on Carlos Condit for maybe thirty seconds, right? And well, it was over.
0: Here's what I'll say. Uh and you were right, Maya is an underdog, he's a plus one eighty five dog, Woodley the minus two twenty five favorite. One thing I think Woodley's cardio gets a little overblown. Uh you know, I mean he went ten rounds with Steven Thompson. Uh yeah, but but he didn't exert
1: himself for ten rounds with Steven Thompson either. And that's the difference to me. Right. He like picked his shots and danced around in the at least in the second one, right? Well, but I, like Think about him trying to wrestle Demi and Maya off him I, I for, don't think for 10 minutes. I don't think
0: he'll have a problem, and I'll oh, tell you why. Wow. So let's talk about the difference between Tyron Woodley and some of the people that Maya just beat. So Maya beat uh, Carlos Condit. Matt Brown, Gunnar Nelson, Neil Magny, Ryan LaFleur, All people I have tremendous respect for, They're all right? long though, right? They're all long and they are not D1 college wrestlers. These are guys who learn jiu-jitsu just like you or me at their local gym sometime around college or mm-hmm. high school. Okay. There is something to be said for D1 college wrestling. I'm not, I mean, if Damian Maya uses a BJJ 101 ankle pick takedown to get tyron Woodley down. I'll first of all I'll be cheering, right, because I root for Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> but it's just not going to happen. I, I think woodley's going to keep him at bay. And when it comes to the striking, Woodley has the he's power. Got, he's got
1: a large advantage.
0: Yeah, he's got a large advantage here. All I'm saying, I guess, the big point I want to make is Maya is tapping out people at Jiu. You know, like in and Jiu Jitsu for MMA is different than Jiu Jitsu. Let's mm-hmm. also get that straight. But he's tapping out people. Who, you know, learned jiu jitsu at a, a later age and and what have you. They didn't grow up with it like he did in Brazil at age six. Woodley doesn't rely on that. I guarantee you, Woodley probably doesn't practice jiu jitsu transitions that much. He's a fucking. College wrestler who knows how to strike and he works it into his MMA. It's just a yes. different matchup than going up against a Carlos Condit or a Matt Brown, who, by the way, I find to be more well rounded th- than Woodley per yep. se, but that almost doesn't matter sometimes in MMA. No,
1: it doesn't. And, and you know I I will say, too, to add on to your point about him being a wrestler, not that I'm trying to argue against myself here, but. The body frame of those people, too. Mm. If you think about the body frame of, of Matt Brown and Gunnar Nelson. Right. Long, right. sinewy, like, you know, kind of lankier looking guy. The body frame of Tyrone Woodley does not look like that. The right. body frame is, is short. He looks like a door frame. Right? And that,
0: and that's kind of the thing. And what I give Maya so much credit for. I'm a Maya fan, so I don't mean to talk poor, badly about him. But Maya is using the best jiu-jitsu we've ever seen in modern-day MMA because it's offensive jiu-jitsu, right? Like, he's taking people down and then getting their back. And I just don't believe that he can take Woodley down. Uh, you know, whereas with the guys that you just mentioned, he didn't have a lot of trouble taking them down. And that's, that's what's going to be so interesting. Now I could see Maya working off his back against Woodley, you know, sort of old school hoist Gracie, but we don't really see that in modern day MMA anymore. And I think fighters are a little too smart to even engage there with Maya. So if anything, let's say Woodley takes him down and Maya's like, yeah, come into my guard. I think Woodley's just going to stand up. One or two shots yeah. and you stand up. Yeah, I, I would say he would stand up in
1: that case. I, I I'm just gonna disagree that I don't think at any point in time, he gets him down. And I think if he gets him down, he can finish him. Well,
0: I look forward to it. It's going to be very exciting. Like I said, that's the fight I'm actually most excited for in the card. Definitely. All right. You have a featherweight female title fight. Cyborg finally fighting for the title that I think was created for her, but who the fuck knows because it's been so confusing. And she's going to be fighting uh, Tanya Evinger. Let's go with Cyborg first and just in the UFC. She's 2-0. She beat Leslie Smith. She beat Lana Landsberg at a catchweight 140, which almost killed her. Now she's fighting at 145. So she doesn't have the extra five pounds to cut, and she'll be fighting Tanya Evinger, who is the Invicta bantamweight champion, but coming up in weight. In her last three, she beat Colleen Schneider via unanimous decision, uh, beat Yana Kaneskaya. Um Actually, it was originally a submission loss due to armbar. Very But then they controversial. overturned it, and she won the rematch. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then she won the rematch with a rear naked choke. Who you got here, Gumby? Uh,
1: I'm, I'm going to go with Cyborg. Uh, even though I really, really, really like Tonya Evinger's... Uh, Toughness, And I think that this is going to be one of the harder fights for Cyborg to put away. I I just think that, you know, from the perspective of, you know, Tonya said to us on the show, she is a natural 135er. And and she almost hinted that, like, she believes her future is there. So if you believe your future is a weight class down from where you are and you're fighting, uh, you know, one of the biggest women at 145, right? Like, she almost killed herself to make 40. I mean, I just think the size discrepancy is going to be too much. The striking is is too much.
0: Well, if you're a big Tanya Evanger fan, you can get her as a plus eight fifty dog, uh, and Cyborg about a minus twelve hundred, minus thirteen hundred favorite in most sports books. A uh, very exciting fight at Walter Waite. Robbie Lawler, the former champion, haven't seen him in a year since he lost his title to Tyron Woodley, is coming back to fight Cowboy Cerrone, who's looked really good at 170, coming off a loss to Jorge Masvidal via TKO back in January, but he beat Matt Brown, Rick Story, and Patrick Cote before that, and Alex Olivia- El- Oliveira, so he's 4-1 and one at Walter Waite. Who you got here? I'm going to go with Robbie Lawler. Uh, I, I just think that you know,
1: while while Cerrone's kind of got that... that Crazy, wild, reckless side to him sometimes when he fights. I just think Robbie takes damage better than Cerrone sometimes. And also that I think he throws a little harder than Cerrone. So I think if this turns into a firefight, I think. Robbie tends to be a little bit more durable and doesn't go down with shots as much as as Cowboy does, and he throws harder than Cowboy does. I agree
0: with everything you just said there. Lawler, the minus-155 favorite. Cerrone, you get as a plus-135 dog. And then kicking off the pay-per-view, basically, this was a number one contenders matchup, believe it or not. Vulcan Ozdemir and Jimmy Manoa uh, at light heavyweight. Vulcan Ozdemir, 2-0 in the UFC, already ranked in the top five. Just ridiculous. Beethoven, St. Pru via split decision and then knocked out Misha Serkinov, the darling of the division. Uh very surprising when now here he finds himself against Jimmy Manawa. The winner of this would actually uh have a have a stake at the title or at least uh a date with Alexander Gustafsson in in a number one contender's match. Uh Manawa is coming off a KO over Corey Anderson, knocked out Ovin St. Preux before that, lost Anthony Johnson before that. I know everyone's ready to anoint Manawa, and I love Manawa myself, but it has only been two wins in a row, so I'm glad he's not fighting for the title yet. This third one would certainly put him in the position. Long story short, who do you have? I- I'm going with Manawa. I'm I like Ozdemir, and
1: he's been written off way too many times. Um, even though he's only well, fought twice. twice. yeah, But he's been written off way more than he should be because the dude's got some fucking chops striking.
0: I, can you see him going into a fight with Jimmy Manoa and winning a striking battle? I haven't seen enough of Ozdemir to really know. <laughs> I've yeah, seen I, him for 14 seconds against uh, well, and then, if, if you saw him fight the OSP fight, maybe you don't remember. On it, short notice. It, it was
1: a while ago. It was short notice, but like, he didn't outstrike OSP by all that much. Mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like, Manawa is a far better striker than OSP. He's quicker, he's
0: faster, he comes with more
1: power than OSP.
0: Okay, so you're going Manawa all day, every day, twice on Sunday. Yep. All right, well, he's a minus 230 favorite. You get Vulcan as a plus 190 dog. Gumby, uh, who else do you like on this? As far as the prelims go, what's a fighter we should keep an eye on or what's a fight we absolutely need to go out of our way to watch? Well, the the kind of the main event of the prelim cards
1: we should mention is uh, Jason Knight fighting Ricardo Lamas. We had Jason Knight on the show here. I know he's ranked 15th up against the guy who's ranked third, Ricardo Lamas, but I love uh, Jason Knight in this fight. I think his striking is coming a long way under all
0: of those coaches he mentioned. Yeah, and Knight, by the way, uh plus one oh five dog, very slight. Lamas the one min- minus one twenty five favorite. Especially for being ranked twelve spots lower. You also gotta
1: love the aljamain Sterling Henn and fight, um, which happened at catch weight because uh the commission will no longer sanction Burrell at 35.
0: Al Jermaine, the minus 135 favorite. Burrell, the plus 115 dog there. Uh,
1: and if you had to pick
0: one more fight that you
1: probably should definitely watch, uh, Brian Ortega is super, super entertaining. Coming off that like last second win over Clay Guida uh, versus Hanato Moicano, who is, uh, he's coming off a win over Jeremy Stevens. So two very underrated featherweights there too.
0: Uh, Moicano, the minus 130 favorite there. Ortega, the plus 110 dog. But I love Ortega even as a dog all of his fights are last second like you know third round wins he's a very exciting fighter to watch that wraps up our show for this week we thank you so much for listening you can follow us on twitter top turtle mma email the show top turtle mma at gmail we're accepting both love and hate mail i am david tremonti he is daniel gumby vreeland we'll be back next week